Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club, the world's first photo book of the month club. We'll have a special offer for you on a subscription with Charcoal Book Club later in the show. Today we wanted to talk about managing a photo library because this is something that everyone has to do one way or another. You take pictures on your iPhone, it's easy. They go into the Photos app, they sync if you have iCloud Photo Library on, and if you've paid for the extra storage space on iCloud because you quickly exceed your five gigabytes. And your photos just sort of automatically go from one device to another, and it's easy to manage. Now, if you use another camera, like we use both use Fujifilm cameras, we take pictures, we stick our... SD cards into a card reader and we put them on the computer and they go into the photo library or they don't. I put mine into a folder in the finder first and then I sift through them. There are a lot of ways to do this. There's photos, there's Lightroom, there's Google Photos. Jeff, give us some ideas of how to do this efficiently. When we first thought about this topic, the first thing that came to mind was a quote from uh, The Princess Bride where uh, Mandy Patinkin's character says, let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Library management is one of those things where you could go into a deep rabbit hole, a lot of details, a lot of steps, and you, you just get lost, basically. The Photoactive Podcast is a rabbit hole-free zone. <laughs> I love that. So the other side of that is that people know that this can be a rabbit hole, and they know that it can be time-consuming, and so they just don't do anything at all. We run into a lot of people who either have never done anything with their libraries or they have just what's on their iPhone and that's the only copy and we'll talk about backups at some other point because it's so vital but there has to be a happy medium and in fact not to completely plug my own work but I'm going to do it anyway because it's our podcast my book take control of your digital photos arose out of this idea that that people have lots of photos people are shooting more and more photos and then not doing anything with them. Or the photos get dumped on a hard drive and they get forgotten or ignored. Starting off, Kirk, based on what you said, I'm curious to know why you import the files to your hard drive first, sort through them there, and then apparently bring them into photos. Well, there's two reasons. One of them is my photos library is currently 40 gigabytes. I'm paying for 50 gigabytes of storage, and I really don't want to have to pay $3 a month instead of a dollar a month. But the second is that my upstream bandwidth is only one megabit. So if I go out and I shoot 100 photos with my camera, RAW and JPEG, right? So the Fujifilm RAW files are about 50 megabytes per photo. And all of that will just block my upstream bandwidth for hours and hours and hours. The other reason is that when I go out shooting photos, I shoot photos, I wouldn't say indiscriminately. I'll often just shoot one photo of something. Interestingly, to foreshadow something you're going to talk about later, photographer William Eggleston said he's never shot more than one photo of anything. He would go out and shoot one photo and move on. I sometimes do that, and then sometimes I'll shoot 10 photos of something, and I'll want to save maybe two of them. I, I'm not very interested in keeping gazillions of photos. I cull immediately. Now, I do have a photo import folder, and it's got six or 800 photos in it, some of them you know, from months ago. So every once in a while, I go back and sort through in case any of the ones that I didn't put in photos are worth putting in photos. In other words, the ones that are really bad, I delete right away. The ones that are really good, I put into photos. And then the rest, I keep in this sort of purgatory, and every now and then I go and clean it. So 
storage space in the cloud, bandwidth, and just the hassle of not wanting too many photos in my photos library. Those are excellent points. My approach is generally, I'm going to import everything typically into Lightroom or photos, but Lightroom is, is what I mostly use just because I want to know where everything is and I want to make sure everything's just in, in one place. And then I'll go and, and, and rate and sort and do all of that later. For me, I think why you want some sort of library management software, some sort of, of, of tool, is because you have everything all in one place and you have something that's doing a lot of that work for you. I know that, that there are some people who they don't want to have anything to do with photos. They don't want to have anything to do with Lightroom and they just do it all in the finder. It's possible. I know it. I, I know professionals who do that or, or they use something like 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 Bridge or um, Photo Mechanic and other apps that basically let you sort of touch your photos in a more photographic way than just pushing files around in the finder. If I can just jump in with a metaphor... On one of my other podcasts, which is called The Next Track, it's a podcast about how people listen to music today, we're going to take turns plugging our stuff here. We did an episode a while ago about iTunes, and there are a subset of iTunes users who want to organize everything in folders by artist and album and all that. The thing they need to remember is that iTunes is a database. It's designed to manage all your music files. You don't care where they are. You don't need to. Now, if I had the storage space and the bandwidth, I would treat photos like that, and I would keep a lot more photos. But these two limitations, for me, make it really complicated. And, and someone doing that in the Finder or on a PC in Windows Explorer, it seems like they're expending too much energy in management, whereas the reason we have this kind of software is to save that time and energy. Exactly. I mean, I would much rather spend my time looking at photos and enjoying my photos and editing photos than managing them. And the, the twist here is that if you have some sort of management you can spend more time doing the, the fun part of photography. The problem is people look at it and they think, okay, I just went away for a vacation and I have, you know, 600 photos and you want me to go through them and rate them and keyword them. And, you know, it, it, it puts that cloud over the whole endeavor. And then you say, okay, you know what? I don't have time to do this. I want to go to bed. I've been away all weekend. I'll do it next weekend. And then next weekend comes, you have more photos, and then it just gets perpetually pushed off. So what, what's great about having a, some sort of library management system is that, A, everything goes in a place where you can access it quickly. B, these apps do have tools to make a lot of this easier. It can be easy to apply keywords. It can be easier to rate things and sort things and reject things so that you don't have to go through those extra steps. Now, what you said about bandwidth, bandwidth is such an issue here because all of these library apps and, and ecosystems, another reason for using them is so that you have all your photos on all your devices all the time. Not only that, but, but so also so you have all your photos in the cloud, which serves as a backup. Exactly, exactly. So, so everything gets uploaded, and then whether you're on your phone or your iPad or your Mac, you can have access to the originals without taking up all the storage space on each device. So when everything's in the cloud, then your phone can save low-resolution JPEGs for you know all, all the old photos that you don't need right away. But if you do need one of those, the original can be downloaded pretty quickly. We're going to take a short break, 
And when we come back, we'll go into more detail about adding keywords to photos and organizing them and rating them and everything to do so you don't forget about all your great photos. Charcoal Book Club is the world's first photo book of the month club. I've been a member for a few months and I really like the way it's exposing me to photographers I didn't know. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected photographers and publishers in the industry to send hand-picked books to your door. The club offers free shipping to the U.S., U.K., and Canada. Members also get exclusive perks like signed copies, access to rare titles, members-only pricing in the store, and more. Use the code PHOTOACTIVE when you join Charcoal Book Club and get 10% off your membership. Whether you're a professional artist with a stocked library or a novice just beginning to build a collection, Charcoal Book Club is an easy and affordable way to stay up-to-date on the most essential work in contemporary photography. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com and use the code PHOTOACTIVE to save 10% on your membership. So we talked about bandwidth and storage, but this isn't free. No, it's not. And of course, in the past, software companies made their money by selling you the software. Now, more and more, they are making their money by selling you storage. So for example, with iCloud Photo Library, if you want to bump past the, the initial five gigs, you can spend a buck a month for 50 gigs, which is pretty reasonable, $3 a month for 200 gigs, or if you want to go two terabytes, you're spending $10 a month. That's not terrible, but $10 a month kind of makes people stop. It's $120 a year. It adds up. And, and when you've got subscriptions for other things, each subscription adds up. And every once in a while, you look at all the subscriptions you have, whether it be Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or this app or that app or this storage or that storage. Maybe you need Dropbox for your work. Maybe you need Google Docs and, and you have a Google account that you're paying for. So all these things add up and, and it gets a little bit annoying after a while. The Creative Cloud plan for, from Adobe, if you're using Lightroom, is more expensive. Um, Adobe has this Creative Cloud photography plan. And for $10 a month, you get 20 gigs. But you also get uh, Lightroom Classic, Lightroom CC, and Photoshop to use. If you want a terabyte of storage, that bumps up to $20 a month. But the problem there is going from 20 gigs to one terabyte. And when I look at that, I think, well, the 20 gigs is for someone who's really not going to use the storage. And why don't they put a sort of median in there of 200 gigabytes or 500 gigabytes? Because I would never use the terabyte. I really wish they would because there is a sweet spot there. I'm currently using about a half a terabyte, but I've also been testing Lightroom CC for a long time, and I fall more into that category of enthusiast photographer who will, would be willing to pay a little bit more for it. But, you know, it's not insignificant money. And, again, you have to take into account the time that it's going to take to, to upload all of that. An interesting option is Google Photos. Google Photos will also charge you for storage, but there's an option where it will automatically grab your images out of photos it's not actually doing it out of photos it's it, it's pulling it from the location where photos is isn't i think it? so the, the only way i tried it was manually adding photos to a specific folder which i told google to duplicate yeah so google photos has an option where you can upload unlimited images but only jpegs basically so if you have raw images the google uploader will convert those to JPEGs and, and upload those. The advantage is you have free storage for 
all of your photos that you want to have up there. You can access them easily and you can do some editing, but basically I see it as like a, a last resort backup and, and a quick way to access some images. But the trade-off is that you're giving all your photos to Google to help them develop their facial recognition model. Also worth noting, yes. Yes. And in fact, also with, with Lightroom too, they are using your images to build their, their uh, machine learning models. There is a way to opt out of that, but you know, you're providing that as sort of the, the raw material for their, their algorithms, even though they're not going to say, grab one of your images and use them in an ad campaign or something. Right. Or target you with advertising because you've uploaded a photo of a cat, and you're going to start seeing cat food ads on Google Ads. What, Google would do that? Are you, what? <laughs> to me, the more important choice here is not so much the storage, but the software. I wouldn't choose one of these because the storage is cheaper. What I choose is the app that works as far as the software is concerned. I started using iPhoto back in the day, and I, I moved to Photos. I never used Aperture, and I know you want to do an episode about Aperture one day, one of Apple's great photographic blunders. I just find that Photos is really easy to use because I do use the Apple ecosystem. I use my iMac, my laptop, my iPhone, my iPad, and it's easier. And as we will mention many times in the show, I do most of my photo editing in Photos because it is a fairly powerful tool and I don't want to waste my time with things in other apps. So for me, the choice of using Photos was actually pretty simple. Some months ago, I decided that I'd try out Google Photos, and I didn't like it for the reasons that you mentioned there about the raw files. I looked at Dropbox, which is really just a way of duplicating your files. It doesn't really manage photos. It just manages files. And I've looked at Lightroom a couple times over the years, but I just don't want to get involved in the Adobe industrial complex. Completely fair. Completely fair. I switched to Lightroom because I also started with iPhoto and then I moved to Aperture because it was it was like the next step up. And after about a year or so, um, Aperture just the, the performance wasn't there. I remember buying a brand new MacBook Pro at the time thinking, oh, it's, it's just because I have old hardware. And it didn't seem to make much, much of a difference. And I think, you know, by then, Apple had started to ignore it and, and the, the writing was sort of on the wall. So, so that's when I jumped to Lightroom. I will freely admit that Lightroom, there's a learning curve. You have to get your head around it, especially what's now known as Lightroom Classic, which is the Lightroom that's been around a lot longer. Lightroom CC, the new version, is a lot more friendly, a lot more accessible for people of all different skill levels, but you do have to get your head into it. And you're also making that commitment to say, okay, now I'm going to put my library into Lightroom versus having it all in photos and trying not to have a whole bunch of these different little containers that all your, your images live in. And there's platform lock-in too, because once you're in one of these apps, it's hard to move to another. So for example, uh, I import my files into photos. I do some editing. I can open any of those files at any time and I can see the edits that I've made. But if I wanted to move them into another app, I would have to export them all, basically freezing the edits. I can export the originals as well as the edited versions, but I'd lose that sort of editing history where I can see the changes and, and undo some of them individually. I think it's the same with Lightroom, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The advantage of, of having an app like this 
manage everything for you is that it's keeping track of all the edits for you. Um, in some cases, you can step back through the history so you can say, you know, wow, what was I thinking then? But it's all still locked in its own container. There are ways you can export images and retain the edits and there are sidecar files and, you know, we're approaching the edge of the rabbit hole, so I'm not going to go in there. Let's not look in. But, but it, what we don't want to lose sight of is those are the types of things that a lot of uh, either professionals or really enthusiastic amateurs, perhaps they will jump into that rabbit hole. Most people are not going to do it. Most people are barely going to do any sort of photo management. You spoke earlier about keywords and ratings and all that. I don't put keywords on my photos at all in photos. I do rate some of them. Unfortunately, photos is a binary rating system. It's either you haven't rated it or you click the little heart and it's a favorite. There's nothing in between. I also don't teach it who the faces in my photos are, except for my cats, because I think it's funny that photos can find some of my cats, but not all of them. But I think you do this a lot differently with Lightroom. I do this a little bit differently. So, you know, in an ideal world, you would import your photos. You would assign a whole bunch of like uh, very detailed keywords so you can find everything later. And then you'd go through and, and apply different ratings. But it takes time and it's a hurdle. And people don't really want to get into different hurdles. So what I've done is sort of scaled way back. If you like keywording, and there are some people who do, especially in like Lightroom Classic, you can have multiple layers of hierarchies of keywords enough to just make my head go fuzzy. And for some people, that's great. What I tend to do is I will bring all my photos into Lightroom. And what's great about that import process is all the photos that I've just imported are basically the only ones that are being shown. It's, it's like the, the, the last import. The, the Photos app has a uh, last import as well. And so, and then I will select all and apply a few keywords that just describe all of them. For example, I was in New York City, so I would add something like NYC, Manhattan, vacation. And then if I really want to, I could select a subset of those and apply a couple of keywords specific to those, like Trinity Church or Ellis Island. Or hot dog or manhole cover. Exactly. And if you want to later, to you can tag those and be more specific. That's fine. But but that takes a long time. It does take a long time. And so by by just doing this, this one 45-second step after importing, you're actually putting yourself in a better position to be able to find things later than if you had done nothing at all. But that's 45 seconds of photo. Now, if you've shot 1,000 photos, that's 45,000 seconds. No, 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 no. 45 seconds after you select all your photos, apply a few keywords, and then you're done. Yeah, but those are the sort of gross keywords. They're not the fine keywords. Manhattan, New York City, vacation, like you said. It's not, it's not manhole cover and, and hot dog and taxi cab. That's true. And now it sounds like we've both gone into like, like stroke mode. We're just... Um, <laughs> Spitting out random words. Yeah. Well, so in the Photos app, you can actually get by without keywords for a lot of things. You can use the search field and Photos automatically scans your photos. So I'm in front of my Photos app and I just tapped in the words cat, 462 photos of my cats. And then I tapped the word car and it's about a dozen photos because I really don't take pictures of cars very much. Then I typed the word tower. Now, this is interesting. I got three pictures of 
the cathedral in York in the north of England. It's not the only three pictures of that cathedral. I got two versions of a picture I took of a traffic cone by a seaside on the beach. And I got another picture of a black, a black and white picture of sky and clouds and a phone pole with wires running down. I did not get the pictures of Broadway Tower, which is what I was looking for. I'll put a picture of Broadway Tower in the show notes. It's this fascinating structure about 10 miles from where I live that some guy built for his girlfriend in the 19th century. It's on top of this hill, and it looks really weird. But the point is that the Photos app, while it can find some things, it's really bad at finding things. Here's a good way to see what it can do. Go into the Photos app, and in the search field, it's at the top right. Type in the letter A and see what the suggestions are. Animal, adult cat, August, April. Apparatus, accoutrement. <laughs> accoutrement. <laughs> agribusiness, abode, arch. There are some locations like Avebury, which is near Stonehenge. Categories like athletics, avenue. There's a category called avenue. Armchair, which is actually a picture of my cat Titus sitting in my office chair, lying down long. It's not really an armchair. So the searching is... Somewhat useless. Anthropod? <laughs> what is an anthropod? It's a picture of a bird wing. Yes, but but what this is showing is actually this machine learning and this, this um, object recognition is a direct result of people not wanting to do any keywording. Because basically the, the software manufacturer said, okay, we've built in this extensive keywording uh, tools and nobody's using them. But people still want to find their photos. You still want to be able to say, okay, where are my photos of Easter from four years ago? And people don't want to have to like go back, scroll back through the date or re remember like it was Easter, you know, the second week or the third week of May or of, of April, you know. And so, so these features that, that you're mentioning, even though it's still really rough, Lightroom also does this. It does take care of some of that finer grained keywording, essentially, it's just automatic keywording that you don't have to do. So you can say like, find sunsets in August and it'll come up with, well, it'll come up with a lot of results and the one you're looking for is probably there. <laughs> this isn't a uh, resounding endorsement, but it's not terrible. Bear. A picture of Titus the cat standing up on his hind legs looking out a window um, the day we moved into our new house two years ago. So That's because Titus thinks he's a bear. Well, he might. <laughs> One thing that Apple did say in WWDC is that they were going to improve searching. And we talked about this just before the show started. And my comment to you was searching is so bad that anything would be an improvement. And this is an example. Uh, on the one hand, this is somewhat useful because you can find cars, but you may not find all the cars. On the other hand, I'm just not going to spend all that time keywording my photos. Well, see, and and that's the trade-off. Let's say you were to spend a lot of time keywording your photos, and then you need to find something later. Then the time that it took, you did that up front. And then when you went to, to find them, uh, it, it, it would be pretty quick to locate those photos. The problem is, is that if you don't do any keywording at all, or if you don't use any software that has some of this machine learning searching, then you're like, okay, I need to find that picture of my daughter's piano recital. And you end up spending like two or three times longer trying to find that because you're scrolling through and you're scrolling through and you realize that, you know, this is not the right catalog if you have multiple catalogs and locations. And 
So the trade-off is, do you spend a little bit of time up front in order to minimize your time finding later? Or do you just not worry about it up front because you want to get right to editing or, or you know, you have other things to do and then just take the hit uh, later on. And, and the same is true with ratings. With Lightroom, you can rate from one to five stars. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my my advice, actually, in my book, I, I have a system of rating that I advise very quickly. I'll, I'll rate something two stars if I think it's worth looking at again, three stars if it's something that is really stands out, and then I'll only rate something four or five stars after I've edited it, if it's something just like that's really, really good. The important thing about rating is be consistent about it so that you know what to expect when you run into those again. But I would say even more important than that, and this is hard to do, and I struggle with this even though I advocate it, is do all your rating in one pass. Because what you wanna do what your brain wants to do is go through your pictures and say, oh, oh, I like the way this one turned out. I'm going to stop and I'm going to edit it and I'm going to play with a few things. And then the rest of the rating doesn't happen. You have to rate your photos in relation to your other photos. Exactly. And so if you can just take that, that, that vacation import that you just did and just go through as fast as you can and say, this is a two, this is a one, or I like this one, I don't like this one, this one's really, really bad, I'm just going to reject it. Do that pass. So then after you've done your editing in a quick pass, then you can say, okay, show me only the images that I've marked two or three stars, and then edit those. And then you're not sorting through all the cruft. So when it comes down to it, I think we both agree that there are really two solutions we can recommend to Apple users. Photos, because it's built in, because it's available on the Mac and on iOS. And Lightroom, because it does a lot more. And it's also available on Mac and iOS as well as Windows. And it also has a cloud system. It's worth noting that a lot of people hesitate about using Lightroom or Photoshop in general because of the monthly subscription. There are two other photo editing apps that are currently working on developing digital asset management tools that go along with their apps, and which is basically what we're talking about, a library management tool. And that's Skylum's Luminar and Affinity Photos. And both of them have announced they're working on these tools. I don't know when they'll be available. But again, as we said earlier, once you're locked into a platform, it's hard to move your photos out. So if you haven't decided yet what you want to use to manage your photos, take some time to try Photos in Lightroom and see what you think. You can get, a, I think, a 14-day demo to Lightroom. And once you make your decision, you're going to have to stick with it. I mean, you may go a couple months and change your mind and be able to pull out. But if you go a long time, it will be pretty hard to move your photos. Definitely. And, and I think it's also realistic to, to expect that you might end up using both. Despite all of my, my, my talk earlier about how it's great to have everything in one, in one you know, package, I, I primarily use Lightroom. But I also take a lot of photos on my iPhone. And so all of those get, get put into the Photos app and iCloud Photo Library. There's also a way that everything that you take using your iPhone can also be added to your Lightroom library. So there, there's that. But I still bounce back and forth just as long as you, you know where to find things. In the past, that meant I'd have to go to different catalog files and different hard drives and different locations having it all in, in one or two easy-to-access locations makes all the difference. Okay. 
So let's move on to our snapshots of the week. This is where we each take a chance to highlight something that we want to talk about, whether it's gear or a photo book or an exhibit or an accessory. Jeff, what about you? I was in New York City recently for the first time, and we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And there was an exhibit of William Eggleston's Los Alamos photos. I believe we mentioned it on our first episode. And it, it just happened that um, I was walking through the museum, and I'm like, oh, there's this thing that I've never seen that Kirk raves about. Unfortunately, I only had about 10 minutes to go through it because the museum was closing. And also, doubly unfortunately, if you happen to be in New York City, the exhibit closed May 28th. However, you can view, I'm not sure if it's all the photos, but there, there are like 99 photos at the Met Museum's website, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. What was also interesting is there were a lot of quotes from Eggleston just printed on the wall. And I think my favorite was, I am at war with the obvious, because Eggleston's photos are very banal, very slice of life. And it's a great look at how somebody else shoots. Yeah, Eggleston is one of my favorite photographers, and I mentioned him in the first episode. I'll also put a link in the show notes to a review I wrote on my website about his set called Los Alamos Revisited. These are some photos he shot in the 1970s. There was an initial book published then, but it's only recently that a German publisher called Steidel published a three-volume set of an extended selection of all these photos. And it's simply phenomenal. It, it really is. It has changed the way I look at the world, looking at a lot of his photos. These books are relatively expensive, but here's a tip. Some Amazon third-party sellers have them at like half price. It's good to know. Kirk, what about you? My snapshot this week is a book by another of my favorite photographers, Todd Heido. It's called Intimate Distance. It's not a very expensive book. One of the things about photo books is they can be relatively expensive. Banal, slice of life. I mean, that's a good description of some of Todd Heido's photos. A lot of them are sort of long exposure photos that he takes at night of suburban houses. And you get these interesting colors with snow and sky and, and streetlights. And, and I have a limited edition poster of one of his photos on my wall, which is really fascinating. I come into my office and there's this blue house with these two windows where the light is just sort of oozing out into the into the fog. And it's it's really fascinating. Some of the photos are pictures he shot through the windshield of his car. So you get the texture of the rain and the dirt on the windshield. And some of them are nudes. And, and it's weird that the nudes are so plain that there's, there's nothing erotic about them. He shot these in small hotel rooms. And, and there's a very interesting feeling of reality in these photos. In any case, I'll link to a review on my website. As contemporary photographers go, Haido is extremely interesting in the way that he approached a certain number of subjects in, in a very personal way. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. The secret word is swordfish. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 10% off your membership at Charcoal Book Club. Go to charcoalbookclub.com and use the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word and you'll get the discount automatically.